Hello, everyone. Welcome to our podcast. Here we will delicately and tactfully walk through each psychological issue. Psych! This podcast is meant for entertainment purposes only. This is not intended as individual, psychological, or medical advice. Please proceed at your own risk and always defer to your individual medical or mental health care team. Basically, don't make it weird, guys. Right. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to Shit Your Shrink Thanks. Be in the position that make me feel so damn unpretty. Ooh, baby, that's TLC. <laughs> A little unpretty for our guests today because we're going to yeah. be talking about body dysmorphia. Yep, yep. Felt like it was an appropriate song. Yeah, no, that's a great one. They talk about you can fix your nose if he says so. You can buy all the makeup that Matt can make. And if you don't look inside you and find out who am I to, then you're going to be in a position to make you feel so damn unpretty. That's yes. the wisdom of the great TLC. They're telling us really all about body dysmorphia, but in a nice package, in a different package. I like it. That was my first uh, CD. Oh, really? Yeah. I like Like, actually literally just bought the single. <laughs> like, it was just one <laughs> song on a CD. <laughs> I like that. TLC is a good, that's a pretty bumping <laughs> CD to have for your first one. That's pretty, uh, that's hip, I think. Uh, I mean, I clearly liked it. Uh, <laughs> I, think, I think my first CD, well, maybe it was Mariah Carey. I want to say something Mariah Carey related. She was really popular back in the day. I remember. She was. Yeah, she was. Well, everybody, welcome. This is our show. Shit Your Shrink Thinks. This is a show where two shrinks tell you what we think about mental health facts. We give you new information about psychology and social work skills. And then we talk about how this applies to our own life. We try to apply the skills. We sometimes (laughs) succeed. (laughs) and we the struggle is real yeah and then we describe (laughs) what happens when we don't so that you feel a little bit more i don't know validated in your particular mental health conquests so as a reminder we also have a patreon if you're liking what we are doing feel free to visit us at www.patreon.com forward slash shit your shrink thanks and feel free to leave a tip in the tip jar it helps us keep going or if financial contribution isn't an option feel free to like subscribe rate and review us if you follow us it helps us gain visibility yeah help us out so As you guys might remember, we are still learning about each other on this podcast, and we like to share a general what's good. Sometimes it's a story, sometimes it's just some little fun ditty. Mm -hmm. So, Sunny, what is your what's good? Well, my what's good this week is that I just went on a vacation, and it was awesome. I was really enjoying myself. I went down to Florida. I'm going to keep the location a secret, but just it was an island, let's say that. And I saw dolphins the first day and the last day, and I was just deeply excited about it. One was a baby dolphin. I saw manatees. Ooh, yeah, yeah, sea cows. Yeah, sea cows. They're so cool. Um, Once upon a time, did I ever tell you the story about my husband thinking a manatee was a shark? (laughs) A manatee? I can see thinking a dolphin. (laughs) So once upon a time, we were... In the water, down on the same island, we go there from time to time, and uh, we had parked a boat that we rented, this, like, POS boat that we rented, and it was, like, we kind of parked it by this bridge, and we had all 
uh, gotten off the boat and were kind of like waiting in the water. Um, and as we as we were waiting, I noticed my husband kind of freak out and then like fall a little and then like walk towards the shore really quickly. And um, <laughs> I was like, well, what happened? And he was like, oh, I, I tripped. And I was like, okay, that didn't look like a trip, but all right. And then probably like a minute later, I see a huge manatee, like a huge manatee right by our boat. And they had been, it was like mating season when we were down there. So it was just like a butt ton of them around and they would just kind of be around you. Uh, we didn't sure. know that there were any near us though. And so I was like, is that what happened? Did that manatee come up to you and you thought it was something different? He was like, I didn't know what it was. So, I was, <laughs> so, I was, so when he said he tripped, did he realize he had made the misidentification? Is that why? No, he I don't think he knew what it was. I think he just saw this <laughs> huge dark shape coming up to him in the water. <laughs> I don't know if it touched him or not. I've never asked if it touched him. <laughs> Why? Yeah. Why? I don't understand. <laughs> I, don't uh. either, I don't either. But yeah, so yeah, so uh, that could be my what's good today is that my husband was touched by a manatee and he said he tripped. <laughs> Which I get why <laughs> that's a beautiful be... trip. You know, going to the getting some good sun. Yeah, you know, your seasonal affective disorder likely. Thank you. Yeah, likely. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I saw a meme. I've probably sent this to you before, but it's like. Nobody believes seasonal affective disorder is real until it's sunny and 60 degrees outside and it feels like you popped a molly. <laughs> that was basically what happened when I got down there. I was like, I don't know. The the sun hit me. <laughs> exactly. I like gained a power up. So it was pretty, it was pretty dope. I had a good time. Bump. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. How how are you? What is your what's good this week? My what's good this week. Uh, have you seen the Netflix show Free Guy with Ryan Reynolds? No, I haven't. Okay. You need to watch it. Okay. It's adorable. Okay. And it's kind of like a video game type. Oh, love that. Backstory. You're like, you free nerds. <laughs> I, I saw you waving your hand like, I don't know, it video games. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't know video games. But I... It was a, it's a great movie okay. and um, it reintroduced me to a Mariah Carey song that's, that I love. That's funny that I was like talking about Mariah I Carey. I know. I know. Weird. It's fantasy. Oh. Mariah Carey fantasy. <laughs> She's always like, I'm so into you. Tell me what That's a great, that's a great song. Very breathy. It is. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. I haven't, I hadn't heard it in a while, and I, and now it's back in my music because I'm like, ah. We should go on a Mariah Carey bender. F it. You know what I liked was the song Breakdown. Have you listened to Mariah Carey Breakdown? Ooh, I, I'd have to maybe. Let's, I can't remember. Oh, that's your homework. That's I'm giving you okay. a podcast homework. <laughs> Let's listen to that song. You're gonna love it. Ooh, she probably she's so good at going like up and down. Like her like octave changes yeah. are impressive. Yeah, they she's really got are. quite the vocal talent. Yeah, I miss Mariah. Come back to us, Mariah. <laughs> I heard. She... I mean, you hear her every Christmas, right? She always. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. Well, that's cool. I will, I'll have to check that that uh free guy. Yeah, free guy. Okay, I'll check yeah. it out. Nice. Okay, so cool, well, cool. what did you try for outside of podcast experimentation? How'd, you, how'd it go? 
Mine was to be more empathetic towards myself and ain't nobody got time for that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know. I I, I mean, I wasn't like a terrible or anything, but I, I didn't take the time to really like let myself sit in any feels. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is what it is. Yeah. No, I, (laughs) right, right. I hear you. I was trying to do something really similar is just like try to have empathy and self-compassion for myself. I did not, but I did do like something in the department. So I've been journaling a little bit more. Uh, That's a big deal. Yeah. So I journaled twice maybe or three times between recording and all three times I kind of discovered like an underlying thought or emotion so that was pretty cool actually I I re-realized that when I just think about things it's very different cognitively than when I write it like there's something different always interesting when I write it versus when I think it I, I don't know I think it writing it down forces me to consolidate the thought and get more uh, hmm. like shorten it so that it makes more sense and that I don't have to keep writing and writing so it like gets to the bottom of matters quicker so yeah so I, I tried that instead of having empathy for myself but I think it was kind of a form of having empathy for myself I was gonna say journaling is totally a form of having empathy for yourself I mean that still takes quite a considerable amount of time and thought yeah so that's that's kind of what I, I say. That's a win. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of what I thought about it. So that's that's what I tried. It was a win. I did get to the bottom of matters faster. Like, for example, I was trying to figure out like when did I become such a cynical bastard? <laughs> that was one of the things I was trying to figure out. I was like, man, I am Burn cynical. Out. You know, like where did that? Like when did that happen? And what process along the way? And I was journaling about it, and I actually was able to kind of pinpoint like different milestones of becoming increasingly cynical, which was cool because then it was like, I was able to do some reframing and be like, yeah, but the situation you're in now is not even close. There's no mirror to the situation you were at before. So you're using old response sets and like cynicism where it's not necessary. It's not a helpful thing. And Yeah. yeah, so it was just like pretty logical, helpful that way. So, yeah, I'm not normally That's awesome. I'm not normally one for like co- cognitive challenging. It's not normally my thing, but that was very very useful. I I think that's awesome. I love that. It, again, I just it takes I've it's interesting that the journaling helps you be concise and I feel like the times that I journal is when I ramble more than when I just sit there and let myself like think. Yeah, I, I think it depends on the person definitely. Yeah. My brain is yeah. like spaghetti. Everything connects like every like Oh yeah. Bad. I think that's a lot of ladies. Yeah. We got the spaghetti brain. <laughs> Men just have like little waffle brains with categories <laughs> and they just shut some of them down occasionally. Like, I don't need that square. <laughs> Not a useful square at all. Um yeah, so that it was it was it was useful. So, uh, cool. what are we chatting about this week? This week we are going to be talking about body dysmorphic disorder. Yeah, it's a good one. It is. I just feel like I think it is one of those diagnoses that kind of pop culture wise, a lot of people maybe give themselves. Mm-hmm. Yet it, they don't technically have it. Like you may have a flavor, but you don't meet criteria. Mm-hmm. Like I think a lot of people struggle with their body image thanks to our social media and just, you know, celebrity craziness. Yeah. But I don't, you know, 
after kind of deep diving back into the diagnosis, I'm like, mm, not a lot of people actually probably meet the diagnostic level, but we all kind of are like, yeah, I have body dysmorphic disorder. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, I don't, which you probably do to some degree, right? Yeah. You probably have some kind of image of yourself that does not meet the image that other people see you. Yes. Yes. Well, it, yeah, that's like how everybody has something subclinical going on. We we just call right. it features. You have features of this or you have subclinical levels of this. But I think that's like <laughs> the thing with the TikToks, um, yes. you know, Instagram, TikTok, whatever it. And I'm sure it'll change to some other media platform soon. But like people who are not trained get a hold of like tidbits of information and then start diagnosing but i think that the crazy part is is just like what you said people don't realize like how severe something really actually has to be for it to meet a clinical diagnostic criteria mm-hmm. and we actually probably do want it to be somewhat severe to be diagnosed right, yeah like, yeah we don't want everybody having all these labels yeah like we don't <laughs> like yeah and we don't want to like assume that normal variation in something is disordered um yeah, right. like what you said, it's society is kind of like disordered in the way we view bodies, but that doesn't mean you are a, a disorder necessarily. Anyway. Right. So yeah. yeah. So I just thought it would be a helpful one to kind of dive into. Yeah, I love it. And explore. And uh, to start, body dysmorphic disorder is within the obsessive, compulsive, and related disorder section of the DSM-5. Yeah. Side note, don't don't say I'm so OCD. But like, just maybe don't say that. <laughs> Cause, yeah, yeah, because you don't actually know how. Yeah, I've, I've had <laughs> a fair amount of clients with OCD. It's really like kind of, you know, I'm not. It's destructive on their lives. Yeah, I'm not trying to like, whatever, if you said it, I'm, no shame or whatever. But maybe just don't say it in the future because it is really like this is a really troublesome disorder for people. It really causes a lot of disruption. Just, just maybe think about the words you're choosing is all. That's okay. Right. You could say I'm anal retentive. You know, I think (laughs) that's that's what people are meaning. Yeah. You know, they mean that they're anal retentive. Yeah. Which, fun fact, was an early Freudian uh, term. It was a a phase of development, the anal retentive phase. Oh, really? Uh I never developed out of that phase. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. yeah, That's exactly. That's like he literally talks about how disorders are people being stuck in phases of development. So there you are. Yeah. Which Erickson did too, right? Uh Yeah. Because his was the same. And I think thought process just different phases yeah and young too all of them kind of like that time period were really i think there's some validity to like feeling stuck in a certain like childhood phase sure maybe not oh yeah maybe not N- maybe not poop related but... yeah <laughs> maybe not the Freudian. yeah oh lord yeah. anyway but yeah you could try that one but so yeah it has it's in the ocd section of the dsm so and that section has a couple of different disorders yeah yeah, so we thought I thought I'd, we'd just kind of name off of the disorders that are in that section just so you have an idea of what that section is about. Yeah. So there's obviously, first and foremost, obsessive compulsive disorder. Uh-huh, that's correct. Then there's also body dysmorphic disorder is within the OCD-related disorder section. Then there is hoarding disorder. Which is interesting. I'm glad that they put hoarding disorder within OCD because every time I've treated it, it actually mirrors a lot more OCD than any other thing I've seen. So, and there does seem to be, um, how would I say this? Like there's a neurological component to it, it feels like in a lot of ways, which is sometimes true with OCD. Yeah. No, I like that too. I Because th- there is, it's a very, I mean, again, obsessive, yeah. <laughs> compulsive, like there is, there is that component with people who are, are hoarding. Yeah. 
And the treatment wise, I mean, I think that's part of why they put these diagnoses in similar categories too, is because a lot of times then treatments can be similar. Yes, exactly. Yeah. There's like some kind of mirror or like piece that are. Yeah. The therapy and the medication sometimes line up. Yeah. The next one is trichotillomania. So that is also known as hair pulling disorder. Yep. So people who pull out their hair as kind of a coping strategy. Yeah. I know several people in real life who do that in my in my in my regular old life, not my therapist life. So it's actually more common than you would think. Um, and then exoriation disorder, which is skin picking. I think that one's more common than you'd think, too. Yeah. Yeah. Like you, you know, somebody who does that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, The next ones are just kind of like the substance-induced obsessive compulsive or ones related to medical conditions or other or unspecified uh, obsessive compulsive related disorders. Yeah, that's why we kind of talked about like if there's a neurological basis to this, like medical conditions or substances can either generate it or make it a whole lot worse. Right. So today, though, we're going to focus specifically on body dysmorphic disorder. And to meet criteria for this diagnosis, a person has to be preoccupied with one or more perceived deficits or flaws in their physical appearance that are not observable or appear slight to others. So that's one of the criteria. Yeah. What's another one? Yeah. So at some point during the disorder, you also have to do a repetitive behavior or mental act, like a thinking pattern in response to the appearance concerns. So like, let's say that you are really hyper-focused on the way your shoulders look, like you then have got to do something specific to changing the way your shoulders look. So examples of repetitive behavior could be like mirror checking, like you're looking at your shoulders all day, Um, excessive grooming, like maybe you're like picking all of the hairs out of your shoulders, or maybe you're trying to like change the color of your shoulders, or maybe you're trying to change the shape of your shoulders. Maybe you're picking at the skin, maybe you're dieting to try to make them smaller. Um, You could be weightlifting excessively to make them bigger, right? But you're doing something, some sort of behavior. Um, What would be an example of a mental act and not a behavior? An example of a mental act could be just comparing your appearance with others. So mentally just continually being like, well, look at that person's shoulders. How did they get that like that? I think that person maybe did this exercise to get their shoulders Mm -hmm. to look in this way. So you're really going down a lot of mental rabbit holes and really focusing on those comparisons on what, what they have and you lack. Yes. And the preoccupation that you have, and this is the same with kind of like every DSM disorder, but it has to cause clinically significant distress in or impairment in these areas, social, occupational, or other areas of functioning. So it, it isn't just that you have these things, it's that it now starts to really affect you as well. Like outwardly, maybe you're right. not going to work because you're checking your shoulders all day or on a bad shoulder day, you decide not to go to work or maybe you don't. Yeah, you call in sick. Yeah. Yeah. Or you don't go out to like social functions because your shoulders feel so weird or look so weird to you. Um, or maybe yeah. like you can't carry on a conversation with somebody without bringing up your shoulders. And it's like really impairing your ability to make and sustain friendships. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Those are great examples of, of, of how that actually impacts our life. Like that's, that's the part that makes it a disorder is when it is impacting our daily livelihood. And it, you, you're so obsessive about it that it 
you can't really not have it involved in every little detail within your life. Yeah. I mean, your whole life is surrounded around your shoulders. that thing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's yeah. And I think it, it can be anything, right? Like it can be anything. Sure. You can think of like those. Um, oh, my goodness. What are those like old TLC shows where it'd be like. I'm a real living Barbie or whatever. You know what I'm talking about where somebody gets yeah, like, Yeah, yeah, they get all those mm-hmm. like plastic surgery procedures to appear as close to like a Mattel Barbie doll as possible. Like that right. would be somebody who has body dysmorphic disorder cuz it it isn't just sometimes it's just around one thing like shoulders, but other times it can be around like multiple parts of the body, like the way your nose right. is shaped and the way your eyes sit in your face and how full your lips are or whatever. And the comparison here would be to, like, a literal Barbie doll. Right. And, the, I mean, that lady has, like, she legit had, like, ribs removed. Mm-hmm. So she could have the, the waist of a Barbie. Right. Like, I've seen, I've seen that lady on, like, interviews, and it's crazy. Yeah, right. The amount of surgical stuff that she had done to alter her appearance. Yeah. Like, it's... That, that would definitely, and you would assume that would impair social and occupational functioning, right? Because oh, yeah. like, if you're ex- spending that amount of money, let's say, um, then probably you are in debt. I don't know her financial situation, but with many people, we would end up in debt in that situation. Um, or it might impair your ability to kind of like make social connections because the way you look kind of is like maybe off-putting or feels strange to other people or like doesn't gel with them as a hobby. Um, mm-hmm. Or that's something you're really, really hyper focused or interested in that might impair your skills and ability to interact with other people. Um, yeah. So there's all of this. This is a great right. example of body dysmorphia. No shade to the lady yeah. who is Barbie. If you're no, happy, no shade. But like, I hope you are doing well. I <laughs> yeah. I have reservations about <laughs> I it. I have concerns, yeah. but I hope you're doing. But if well. you're killing it inside, then f me, man. <laughs> right. Uh, the other part of the criteria is the appearance uh, preoccupation is not better explained by concerns with body fat or weight in an individual whose symptoms meet diagnostic criteria for an eating disorder. So in other words, if somebody has an eating disorder, that does not mean that they have body dysmorphic disorder. Right. You diagnose one or the other. Right. There's rare occasions where you get both, yeah, yeah. but generally speaking, it's like one does not always, always attach to the other. Yeah. yeah not always. Yeah. So you can add a couple of specifiers to this diagnosis too. So with kind of muscular dysmorphia, the individual is preoccupied with the idea that their body uh, build is too small or insufficiently muscular. So that's kind of the one I'm talking about with the shoulders, for example. Mm -hmm. I just like picked that. Uh, The specifier is used even if the individual is preoccupied with other body areas, which is often the case. And it's usually in men. You see this more commonly in men. So this is like a thing that happens with like disorders in the DSM is a lot of times there's there is maybe a biological basis but then it's socially constructed so that the way that the issue presents it might be like an underlying self-esteem thing or an underlying anxiety thing or an underlying depression thing but then the way it comes out is informed by your environment and the way things look around you socially so like let's say you have a whole bunch of anxiety um, that can manifest coming out this way and then look like a body dysmorphic disorder in a man, for example, who is like over engaging in bodybuilding behavior. 
Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. I think of the, the, like you said, the bodybuilders, the people who are like the Mr. Universe kind of mm-hmm. where their muscles are like so mm-hmm. huge. It's like, how do you even walk? Yeah. Yeah. It does make me wonder about like the health and again, not a medical doctor. So I, but I do wonder a little bit about like the health and wellness aspect of like having that kind of physicality. Um, mm-hmm. I can't imagine that every single person who's doing that is actually super healthy. Um, no, I don't imagine. I imagine that's hard on your heart. Yeah, in your kidneys, probably. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> your kid- like your filtration system, I would imagine it's it's getting hit. And I do know a lot of folks like end up. I mean, here would be where it becomes a disorder, right? Is like if you end up taking like steroids or something like that. Right. That now is qualifying as probably something that's affecting you negatively and ha- is having right. what would be a more disordered feel. Yeah. And the other way you can specify this is actually through the degree of insight an individual has related to the, their related to their disorder or diagnosis. Mm-hmm. So there is with good or fair insight is one of the specifiers. So that's when an individual recognizes that the body dysmorphic disorder beliefs are definitely or at least probably not true, like or that they're maybe not, you know, they may or may not be true. Like they they recognize that okay, I this I'm not so sure about this. Like, I know this is how I feel. This is how I believe. But I think it might be a bit off. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I know that I'm not actually overly skinny and I actually am very muscular, but I just can't convince my heart that that's true. But I know, like, logically that it's not true. Like, that sort of a, a vibe. And then we also have people with poor insight. So the individual is fused with their beliefs. They're like, no, I really don't have muscles. I really am too fat when they're really skinny or they do have a lot of muscles. Like they genuinely believe that whatever their brain is telling them about the negative facts about their body, they genuinely believe those to be true. Right. And it can even get to a specifier lover where there's just absent insight or delusional belief. So it's like they believe it so wholeheartedly that it's they're just completely convinced that this this is true. Like I I am the skinniest frailest old thing ever and yeah it's like that's just becoming not so so far away from reality that it does appear to be maybe a little delusional that sometimes happens right so basically people with body dysmorphic disorder are preoccupied with one or more perceived deficits or flaws in their physical appearance which they believe look ugly unattractive abnormal even deformed maybe like they genuinely feel like they look hideous in some way right just sad yeah it is sad my experience too is that this is like really hard to challenge cognitively like for whatever Uh reason like you can try to present alternative evidence you can try all sorts of things but it is not it's not very responsive but we can talk about that later um they do people who have this do tend to focus on one or more areas of their body so like Skin could be something. Uh, They might think about acne or scars or wrinkles or paleness. I've definitely had people with skin as a dysmorphic feature. Um, It might be their hair, like, oh my gosh, I'm going bald or I have too much hair on my body. Um, It could be nose, like how we talked about with the person who is trying to look like a Barbie doll. So they're thinking their nose is too wide or too long. Um, eyes, teeth, weight, stomach, breast, legs, face size, you name it. It could be lips, chin, eyebrow, genitals. It can be really anything. Um, mm-hmm. They might just even feel like there's they're asymmetrical. 
Like just like one yeah. half of my body. Their proportions are off. Yeah. 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 So it could be like the entire enchilada, basically. <laughs> <laughs> All of the enchilada is off. <laughs> and many individuals with this diagnosis do have some ideas or delusions of reference. So they'll believe that other people take special notice of them or mock them because of how they look. It's, again, that thing where they're in a public space and they see people laughing and they perceive that they're laughing at their perceived flaw. Mm-hmm. Exactly. When it's And it'll be, like, really unusual. Say you guys are all going to get lunch together and you walk through, like, a food court or something. They'll sit down and be like, did you see those guys over there just, like, talking about how weak I look? And you'll be like look over at the guys and they're clearly both just on their phone. So it's like, it's very, it it feels like very unusual and very Mm -hmm. um, like easy to challenge that that's not happening. That's when something is a delusion. Right. And this diagnosis is often associated with high levels of anxiety, social anxiety, social social avoidance, depressed mood, neuroticism and perfectionism, as well as low self-esteem. Right. So again, we're our diet, our, picture of ourselves is impacting our ability to engage. It's impacting how we, how we interact. We're not going to social events. We're, we're feeling down about ourselves. We, you know, because everybody is noticing how this awful thing that I appear to look like. Yeah. I mean, and this goes back to like, most disorders have a similar root system but like the plant that you see actually grow into the world depends on the environment. Right. I like how you, yeah. 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 So like the root system is like totally the same, like a self-esteem issue root system is very much the same, but if you're in a cold environment, maybe the root system stays underground. If you're in a super warm and rainy environment, maybe it forms a daisy, maybe in like a temperate environment, it forms a potato. Like you can think about these as all of your different disorders that form. (laughs) One's a daisy, (laughs) one's a potato, one's just a root system. Right. But all come from the root of self-esteem. Yeah. It's all the same plant um but or you know it might be the anxiety plant or whatever like sure yeah and these change over time too so like let's say uh let's say muscles become uncool right we don't want to have muscles true yeah want to be societal changes yeah super slender men let's say then you know in the future body dysmorphia would be like i'm not slender enough it would it would mirror like the times or the zeitgeist yeah Yeah. well if you think about back in the uh, renaissance age i think it was where they wanted to be pale right people would powder their faces to look paler Because that was what was cool, whereas now you want to look tan, right? People lay in tanning beds. So, I mean, there's an example of how time and culture has changed on what is, you know, cool. Or those wigs. They used to wear those white powdery wigs because that was the fancy thing. Those are dope-ass wigs. I hope those those come back. I think they had a lot of lice and shit in them, though. What? Uh, Yeah. No. Yeah. Never mind. Hard fast. Like, that's why they were, like, so powdery, I think, is that was actually, like, lice treatments. Um, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's disgusting. You know the thing that could come back, though, that I'd be cool with? Is remember how, like, those French ladies had those little hearts under their eyeballs? You know, those Oh, little... yeah, like, they painted little, like, heart-shaped moles. Yeah, like a little painted-on heart-shaped mole. That was cute as hell. I'll do that. That is. Kind of Harley Quinn-esque. Yeah. Frick yeah! You know what? I should just do that. I'm bringing it back. I don't care. I, <laughs> just start. Just start doing if it. If I yeah. like it, I'm doing it. I I feel like I'm gonna look like a like a 
Johnny Depp style pirate by the end of my like if I were to just do all <laughs> the things that I genuinely enjoy looking like and doing I would look obscene because I would be there are people who do that though like they'll wear walk around wearing like the renaissance outfits when there's not a renaissance fair because they think that you know that's where they feel comfortable and cool like That'd be hey you do you man I'd put who cares I think feathers in your hair needs to come back very into <gasps> yeah very into hair feathers very into that little heart on your face like, I like that. super into glitter and bedazzled. Am I just describing Kesha? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe I'm just describing Kesha. <laughs> Maybe I should just dress like Kesha. Anyway, yes, uh, it, it changes. Body dysmorphia changes over time and what's available to you and what is seen as beautiful. So co- how common is the diagnosis really and, and when does it develop? So these stats are according to the DSM. Yep. So the DSM says that 2.4% of U.S. adults suffer from this diagnosis. So 2.5% in females and 2.2% in males. Mm -hmm. And other countries have similar prevalence, it says. So Germany is 1.7 in females and 1.8 actually in males. Yeah, I wonder if it's like Western countries, you know, it makes me wonder about that. Yeah. Yeah, so people who get kind of the dermatology treatments have a 9 to 15 percent rate of struggling with this so it is god i was just earlier i was thinking about what it would be like to be a physician in this situation and i just Mm. have a lot of empathy for physicians because i think it's a, a lot of from what i am understanding what some physicians have been telling me is that they don't feel like they are trained on this sort of stuff totally like they are and they aren't like they get information but they don't have like a full you know residence right this. and so it's like they these things present in their office and they're like you know i really just don't think i should perform this procedure or i don't think this would really actually be helpful to the person and my whole job right is yeah to try to be helpful um you know there's like a a first layer or a second layer that when they perform like some of the more minor cosmetic procedures, I hear them saying like, that feels helpful. Like this person just wants to fit in more or feel more confident or whatever, but then it kind of escalates and it's like hard for them to clock when it's going to become something that feels medically threatening to the person in front Mm -hmm. of them. Um, and God, like, think about that stat. That's one in 10. I would have so much anxiety. And that's just dermatol. That's, that's just skin, yeah, that's right? Just that's somebody skin. coming into the dermatologist and that's just people. Yeah. That's not plastic surgery. No. Plastic surgery has a three to 16% rate. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like probably folks are presenting at like people who probably present one time or two times are, you know, are not going to be your this this situation but people that are presenting you know every couple of months that's when you start to wonder um and i just wonder about kind of what they're i'm assuming there is something in place but what a physician's backup option is in this situation like do you yeah yeah how can you you know how do you refuse how do you end up saying listen this is you know not hurting you and i think there also is that struggle is this is your business like yeah you earn an income on them coming in so (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's, there has definitely been times where like now being in the private sector, you know, I've kind of said to people like, I don't, yeah, I mean, you can see me as much or as little as you want, but I'm going to just tell you the truth here. I don't think you need me as much as you think you need me, but I mean, it's fine if you want to see me, but here's the risks and benefits of that. And I would imagine like it's a similar conversation where it's like, 
I don't. Yeah. Like, it is ultimately your choice, but here's the downsides of what you're trying to do. Um, and I would imagine, like, if I was in that position, there would be some instances where I would probably decline care and offer therapy service referrals in the community. True. But that probably, yeah. that probably feels so goddamn invalidating. Well, and the problem is that with that, too, is they just those if they're that persistent, they're going to just find another doctor. You yeah, know, if they have absolutely. means. Like, Absolutely. then they just doctor shop until they find somebody who does the procedure that they want. Yeah. No, and I and I know people who've even gone to, like, separate countries to get the things that they are asking for. That they want. Yeah. So, like, yeah. I've seen people, like, be declined cosmetic procedures and then go to, like, I think the last person was Mexico, maybe? Or uh, maybe it was South America. Maybe uh, Brazil. Mm. I, I think I've seen both Mexico and Brazil where people just kind of like go to a country where plastic surgery procedures are really common. We don't ask a lot of questions about those because, you know, legislation is different and yeah, they just come back with whatever they need. So it's just, yeah, I just feel, I just feel for the doctors in this position. Cause I feel like when you become a physician, this is not something that you think about. You're just like, no. you're like, I, uh-uh. I want to help people and be prestigious. And then you run up against this. You're like, what is going on today? I, I need to like, Help, right. Help How do somebody. I actually help this person? Yeah. Like this, this doesn't feel like the right kind of help they need. Yeah. What is? But this is what they're asking for. Yeah. What is the help? God, and that's such a tough position to be in too, as a provider, where you're like, yeah, here's the help that somebody is asking for, and here's the help that like I hypothesize they need, and like what makes, you know, it's hard to be like I don't want to sit in this expert position all the time and take away their power, but at the same time, I you know, that is part of something I do know about and want to inform them of. It's a tough, a tough job. So really, though, in the general public, not too many people are given this diagnosis, like just kind of free floating in the world. We don't really see this. I mean, 2% is really not that common. Um, Right. But it is there. It is there. So if this is you, if you're (laughs) listening and you're thinking, no, I got this. Hey, okay. No, we're, we're not trying to say it is, doesn't exist. It does. No, no. And hey, if you do say you got this, like, good on you. That means you got some insight. Hey, you yeah. The insight level. Yeah, the, yeah, you're the upper end of the insight spectrum. That's badass. And we know <laughs> clinically that people on the upper end of the insight spectrum tend to do better in care, have more motivation yes. and tend to get better. So, hey, what's up <laughs> if that is you? Uh, But remember, to get this diagnosis, it has to cause clinically significant distress and impairment, and there has to be some level of repetitive behavior and thinking. Yeah. And like we said before, I I do think that social media and TV has has made many people believe that they struggle with this diagnosis or some level of this diagnosis. I think a lot of people do have a distorted view of their physical appearance, but pop culture-wise, like this diagnosis isn't actually fit there. Yeah. What they're actually experiencing. Yeah. And they're all subclinical. Yeah. I think that's absolutely true. But again, we all want to, I don't know. I think it's like cool now to have a disorder or something or say, to, say you have a uh, it kind of does feel that. Isn't that weird? <sighs> yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's like one of those things where it's like, I don't know. I think there's been this, uh, these conversations about like, different types of classes of people that have privilege and don't have privilege and i think it's like cool now to imagine yourself as a person who does not have 
privilege in certain ways. Oh, this is just like my yeah. No, theory. I think that's a good theory. Um, I I'm I'm on I'm on board. Yeah, I I can see what you're saying. Yeah, because if you imagine like I don't have privilege in these specific ways, and you don't ever actually have to take accountability for being shitty ever, <laughs> you can just kind of be like, no, I I here are all the like diseases I have. Um, I think that's part of it. I do think another part of it though is just like some of it is becoming more common um i do think like just with the rise of social media like and what you're seeing on tv etc i think some of this does like you know maybe over time the amount of people who do have this like legitimately is increases sure sure um and then it's just like a dissemination of information into the hands of more (laughs) right it's a game of telephone yeah Yeah. where you're like that's just not what that is (laughs) (laughs) Please stop saying that on the internet. And then people are watching them like, yeah, that person makes a lot of sense. And you're like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> Sweet mother of God. I'm teaching a class right now. And we have a bunch of students, uh, like baby doctor, clinical psychologist students. And like, I think once a week, we're like, oh, God, we're going to bomb TikTok. I hate that place. Like, because we get some client in that's like, I have autism. And you're like, I don't. You have no symptoms of that. What? tiktok channel are you watching what youtube channel are you watching it's like yeah you do have social anxiety for sure like you you are very anxious but you don't have autism. but that doesn't mean you have autism yeah, or ADHD yeah. is another popular one i mean you name it it's yeah and then for the people yeah. who actually have those things they're probably like what the shit they're like you don't even know you don't know the real struggle yeah yeah, yeah. And, and also sometimes they don't even show up into the office because they're like i'm fine <laughs> 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 I love it. I freaking love it. Um, so, so when do you develop this this situation, this disorder? Generally speaking, people will develop this disorder in their adolescence. So the median age at onset is 15 years old. And most common, the onset is 12 to 13. And two-thirds of individuals will have their onset of symptoms begin before age 18. Yeah. So in those teen years, when yeah, when your body's still developing, yeah, that's when we start to aid our bodies. Yeah, oh. puberty, baby, <laughs> messes you up. Puberty done messes all up. So that's a that's the most common period of time. Um, some folks have genital preoccupation too, just like the way their genitals are shaped and formed. They don't like them. Like think of your like labioplasties, that sort of thing. Like. Yeah, maybe are too long or not the way that they are. The coloration is weird or whatever. Right. Um, and males are more likely to actually have the genital preoccupation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Imagine that some penis envy <laughs> from with their own penises. I don't know. <laughs> uh, uh-huh. Uh, Go on. <laughs> maybe delete that out. Oh, God. You're, you're the one in charge of this episode, but I highly suggest you leave it. No, this is 84. Oh, so I get this. Oh, baby. Well, yeah. in that case, I think I'll leave that in. Damn <laughs> Michaela, you. just penis, penis, penis. <laughs> penis, penis, penis. Vagina, vagina, vagina. vagina. Well, and but now yeah, we so males, hit our males are more likely. <laughs> males are more likely to have genital preoccupation. Yeah. And females are more likely to actually have that comorbid eating disorder. Yes, yes. Um, which... 
makes sense to me. Yes, it does make sense. And I and it does seem that certain factors increase the triggering of it, including, you know, having a blood relative with body dysmorphic disorder, or obsessive compulsive disorder. So there is something in the root system that runs in the genes uh, and also some negative life experiences tend to trigger it, like childhood teasing, neglect or abuse and certain personality traits like perfectionism. Yeah. So again, kind of like you said before, I mean, it is, there's a neurological component. So there is, you know, the born with it aspect. And there's also the grown into it aspect Mm -hmm. with your environment. So it's always nature versus nurture. There's generally a little bit of both. Yeah. And it can occur in an elderly population, but little is known about the elderly population disorder presentation. And so we're just going to kind of make a mention of that, knowing that it can happen. Um, But there is little research available right now. So I think that we may need to... I was going to say, maybe need to pause and finish. Yeah, I think maybe we'll break this into two episodes kind of as we're looking at it, because we do have a fair amount of treatment options. And I think both of us have... I mean, we've both treated this. I know we have. And so it's like, we can also talk about what our personal experience has been my my experience is this is highly treatment resistant but we can talk more about that next time and then kind of what are the different like real effective options um but for the ending of today what do we want to do for outside of podcast experimentation based on this conversation that's that's a good question uh i didn't prepare myself on that one i got my jokes but i forgot to prepare an experiment well uh, I mean, I I want to say, here's what I want. I want to, like, do tasks to be more self-loving. That's what I want. I don't totally know how always motivated I am to do that. Like, I just don't always go that route. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I would love to be more affirming of my outward appearance. I think that would be cool. But I think I might just stick with journaling because that's the thing I'm currently doing and I seem to be motivated for and I don't want to jog my motivation so I'm going to just kind of keep journaling my and all I journal is like how I feel like I'll literally write down feeling kind of weird today (laughs) 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 you know and then like why I think I'm feeling weird feeling kind of weird today probably because didn't sleep thinking about these things having these emotions wonder what that's about probably about this and journaling in that way is helpful to me so i'm just gonna keep up with that i think that, yeah that's a form of self-love yeah i dig it yeah. i dig it i'm i'm thinking that to be a little in line with this episode i'm going to when i look in the mirror just try to give myself a, an affirmation uh-huh. on my appearance perhaps Ooh. oh god Tell me how that goes. I know. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> there, I, I, sometimes I look in the mirror and I'm like, yep, there I am. And then I just keep, I'm like, yep, that's it. I Normally me. as I'm getting ready, I'm like, eh, good enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There is like a thing that happens after you become a parent where you're like, am I going to brush my hair? Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. No, 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 no. I'm not going to. It's like, wait. That. I showered. That's a big deal. Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> definitely. It The appearancing does definitely. I, I felt uh, a decrease in my engagement with my own appearance, which is positive and negative. So, yeah. Right. But it could be Same. cool to say something nice to yourself. I think that's a great one. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go with that. Well, I have a joke for you today. It's not related. 
Okay. But I just heard it. I have. <laughs> okay, you go. You go. Okay. Uh, what is Dr. Pepper a doctor of? Good question. What? I'm not really sure. All I know is that he's a physician. Oh my <laughs> god! <laughs> that's, I love that. That's it. That's what I got. Oh, All right, hit me. That's great. When someone calls me ugly, I get really sad and I hug them. I know life can be really difficult for those with weak vision. <laughs> 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 that's awesome that might be one of my favorite ones <laughs> that's one of my favorite ones you've said so far I like that one that one in the clearly nuts one is is a, one of my favorites those are great so folks thank you so much for joining our podcast today and we will be doing part two of body dysmorphia next week we so appreciate you tuning in. And again, if you're liking what we are doing, feel free to like, subscribe, rate, and review us. It helps us gain visibility. And we will be checking you out next time. Yeah, see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.